Hello, 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 and welcome to the first official episode of our very shiny new podcast, Stage Milk Acting Conversations. And we're very excited about this first one. I sat down and interviewed Les Chantry, who is first and foremost an actor. He's a fantastic actor who has worked a great deal in film, TV, theatre, trained at NIDA. Um, So he's a fantastic actor in his own right, but he's also an incredible coach, acting coach. And partly the reason I wanted to have Les on the show was because so many actors I knew and respected a great deal just kept going on about how good the various masterclasses or ongoing classes were that they were doing with Les. Um, And I just had a feeling we were going to get a lot of gold out of this man, and we certainly did, I think. I sound a bit like a nervous wreck, Um, but Les just unleashes fury in the acting snacks. Um, So... Yeah, I hope you enjoy. Here's my conversation with Les Chantry. Before we jump into the interview, I just want to say a quick thank you to Bulk Nutrients, who've come on board as a sponsor for the podcast. And I use the word sponsor, but it's not really the right word, because I went to them and I said, look, I use your products, and I love them. I've been using them for years. I want to tell people about them. I think other actors um, are going to get on board. And they were really open and fantastic, and they've come on board. These guys make high-quality products. They're basically a one-stop supplement shop. They've got everything. It's awesome. It's all really high-quality, really affordable stuff, and I just can't recommend them highly enough. We're really happy to have them partnering up with us. So check them out, bulknutrients.com.au. Les, thanks for <laughs> joining us on the show. Um, I wanted to ask you, you've worked um, worked and trained classically in theatre. You studied at NIDA, which is the national school um, in Australia, and then worked in film as well. Do you see there being um, a big difference when, you, when you're working as an actor on stage and on camera? Yeah, I, I'm one of those people who think there is a quite a massive difference between acting in film and on stage. And I know there are equally as many people out there who would disagree with me. And and I think that's what's great about actually talking about acting is there are different opinions. But for me, the reason why I know this in my blood to be true is I started acting in film. Film was what I first started acting in before mm. I got into NIDA. And the fir- it was the first audition I ever had. It was for a feature film called Pitch Black, a sci-fi alien film with Vin Diesel and I had like five or six auditions for that I'd never auditioned before in my life I, yeah wow what I, a first experience it was, it was terrifying yeah. mine was Harry Potter and <laughs> they were going around England searching the entire country and got shut down within about 10 seconds I think <laughs> but you got in the room I think they were, I might, might have been a gimmick but they were going around the entire country and just had lines and lines of young kids who would go in with you know like a paragraph and you would just go in do your piece and then Go on. Yeah, it was a bit of fun. Because do I detect anyway. an accent? Yeah, so I grew up in England. Oh, so I've lived okay. here for um, oh, about 12 years now. Okay. So, 
comes out when I'm a bit more official. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, carry on. Yeah, no, so I had I had like five or six auditions and and I got the part and mm. I got my education in film actually on that experience. It was like four months of shooting or something like that. And so everything from frames and hitting marks, all of that stuff I mm. learned by doing it. And then I did, you know, a couple of TV shows after that. And then I got into NIDA and did three years of classical training, as you said. And we, did, look, I have to say it's really different now. I teach screen acting at NIDA mm. now. But at that time, we didn't have a lot of film and television. And so most of our training was in theatre. And then we all graduated. And the one, well, not one, more than one, but the constant feedback we were getting from casting directors was we were too big, that we were needing to throw it away, that we were too theatrical. And and it was then that I realised, wow, there is really a difference between acting on stage and acting in film. There are people who will say that, you know, as long as you're telling the truth, you can get away with anything and that, you know, life is really big and so it can be on film. And there are all these opinions on it. But I do think the camera sees something very differently. And, and once you know how the camera sees you, then you can adjust your behavior so that you can still be truthful, but it's for that particular medium. I hope that answer makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So what are, talking specifics, what do you think, what kind of, what are some examples of those adjustments to sort of bring it down, as you say, to... Something really boring, mm. volume. Sure. I mean, when you're on stage, you have to fill an auditorium. Yeah, yeah. And when you're on a set, there's a crew watching, mm. but you don't have to be polite for them in terms of volume. You know, Kate Winslet said this really great thing. Somebody said, what's the difference between film and stage for you? And she said, on film, you get to really whisper. Like, you don't have to fake whisper. You get to really whisper. Mm. You couldn't really whisper on stage. I mean, people would want their money back. Yeah. So that's one thing. I think another thing is, this is quite a controversial one, and I'll I'll try not to go on on a tangent here, (laughs) but something like blinking matters on film you know michael michael kane talks about it quite a lot mm. I, didn't, I didn't he talks that. a lot about kind of in uh quite technical things in some of his stuff yeah um yeah, yeah it's interesting because i was just speaking with um the last few podcasts i've done have been with with voice coaches mm-hmm. and i've asked um their opinion on this and um a lot of them uh, i was just speaking with andrew jack this morning who's a big dialect coach and he works on a lot of hollywood films and he was saying it's a really big problem that people um, think on screen that, yeah, because it's smaller, that you can completely go off voice and people are whispering and it's a, and it becomes a problem um, because, yeah, people perhaps go too far with it. Like, do you, th- do you think it's still, it's, obviously it's still about communicating um, with the person naturally so, or, or do, you, are you, uh, do you think you can really go off voice and... And, no, and I don't but, think it's a deliberate thing. I think you communicate the way you would in life. So if you mm. and I in this distance here, then I'm going to communicate to you at this, at this level. But what would you say there's about, is that wall about three metres away from us that we're in this room right now? Mm. Would you say that's about three metres? Sure. Sometimes there's a crew standing in that, in that proximity. They don't need to hear me. Yeah. And there's this unconscious thing for theatre trained actors that we need to at least get our voice over these three metres so that the crew can hear us or the director can hear us. But, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't think anyone in film, you know, you'll get some feedback on this, maybe people write into the website. I don't think anyone in film has ever been asked to speak up. 
Mm. And most of the opposite to that note is is said. Um, you know, uh, there's Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Mm. If you have a look at his work in a show at the moment called The Path, which is on Hulu, it's really interesting. He whispers for most of that. And I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing, mm. but you'll... If you do watch him in that show, have a look at the distance between him and the other actor he's talking to. It's virtually, I could virtually guarantee that the other actor on the set can barely probably hear what he's saying, but he knows the camera's in tight on him. Mm. So he's pitching himself at a place where the camera is forced to have to come in on him because mm. he's not going out to it. I can't remember yeah. who it was. Maybe you can tell me that somebody said, treat the camera like somebody you're playing really hard to get with. Yeah, make them, make them do all the work. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so do you find when you're working in a, um, doing coaching that, um, especially maybe with recent grads, you're still, that is still an issue. You're sort of bring it's a lot about bringing people back and getting rid of that sort of presentational aspect. It's interesting. I don't use the terminology bringing people back or throwing it away because when I used to hear those notes, I'm not sure yeah. if you've ever heard that note. What happens is then you you pull all the life back and you pull all the energy back. You yeah, pull sure. the interior dynamite back when someone yeah. says, just pull it back a little bit. So it's not so much as pulling people back as giving them the options about what is going to be more effective on camera. And the other thing is, is that I when I'm teaching... I play a lot of film clips because the last thing I want is anybody to just listen to me and take my word. So I back it up with a lot of evidence, and I and I show the I show the the actors who we would all agree mm. are pretty phenomenal, and we look at their screen technique and we analyze it in a few different ways. One of them is blinking. I'll give you mm. an example: Meryl Streep, probably one of the greatest actors alive, mm. in the film Prime with Uma Thurman, she blinks all the time rapidly it's mm. non-stop and in the film the devil wears prada she doesn't blink at all it's a choice these aren't rules it's considerations mm. but that, do you think she would have made that choice i think so and yeah. it comes from having done it for how many years she's done it she just mm. knows how to work that camera mm. you know sam neil knows how to work a camera because he comes from a cinematography background i believe that he just knows mm. how to do that turn into camera you know that famous yeah. jurassic park turn yeah. he just does he does that quite a lot in his yeah. in, in his work because he, he knows what the camera wants um what do you think is, uh, I know we might be skipping around a bit, but do you think on that, um, how do you find that comfort? Do you think it's just doing it enough? Yeah. yeah. Look, the thing that I specialize in more than anything is, is screen testing because mm. I think that's even a different beast. I think there's acting on stage, there's acting on film, mm. and then there's screen testing. And I think screen testing is its own beast. You and I right now are sitting in a real casting room. Mm. Auditions happen in this space every single day. If we look around, there is nothing in this environment that is gonna support you. If you have to come in here and believably be having a fight with your lover in the kitchen, you're gonna be standing on a mark and there's a waiting room a couple of meters behind you and you've got 10 minutes to turn that on. So for me, the reason why the reason why I got into this was because after I graduated drama school, I didn't book film and TV work. I mm. stopped booking film and TV work and it made no sense to me that as an untrained actor, I was booking film and TV work. And this is not to say that my training wasn't beneficial. I'm so grateful for my training. But I had to discover again why it was that my skills from drama school needed to be adapted for this casting room that we were in. And the way this all happened at the risk of being an annoying 
um, name dropper was I've, I, 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 may, I, I applied to get a scholarship to go study filmmaking because I thought if they're not going to cast me or my friends, I should learn how to make film, create my own work, put my mm. friends in it. And I made a short film, long story short, ends up in the hands of a director who had just shot a miniseries out here in Australia, John Avenet is his name, and he was about to direct a feature film. And he said, I really like the short film you made. Uh, he, he was, coincidentally, it ended up in his office, his short film. I won't go into that. But he then said to me, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to film school here in America? I can get you in. Or do you want to be an actor? I said, well, I'm not done with the acting yet. He said, well, do you have your legal papers in LA and America? I said, no. He said, well, I'm doing a, sh I'm doing a, a feature film. And I can tough tartly you. I had no idea what that meant. But in America, it means they pay a fine to the SAG union to get a non-union actor into a union film. No. Right. He right. was doing this. You yeah. know, I mean, I got my O one one visa. Sure. He, he, he was really generous. Anyway, I ended up on set playing a, a lawyer to two cops. It was like a couple of days of filming. It's like a 40-second role. But it was me playing a lawyer to Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. So it was me and those two guys in a room for two mm. days. And, and I thought, well, when is that ever going to happen? I mean, I was, you know, it was sweat pouring down my back. It was one of those ridiculous mm. moments, in fact, where <laughs> yeah, you kind of don't acknowledge it's happening until afterwards. Yeah, you just, yeah. I mean, the only thing I, that got me through it was they're a little shorter than me and I'm not a tall guy. I just thought they intimidate me. I can just push them over. <laughs> but, but I was talking to Al Pacino about... Australia and I was saying oh, I wasn't really working a lot in film and TV and he said to me do you audition he you know he said do you audition well and I said yeah I did and I didn't hear the question I didn't hear it in the way he intended he said do you audition well I said yeah I did I went to NIDA it's like this school with like Kate Blanchett went there and mm. um, Mel Gibson and all these people he's like it's not the question I'm asking you do you audition well because there's a difference and he told me the story and about Jessica Chastain and she she was unknown at this time. I didn't know who she mm. was. He said that he had just cast her in a play called Salome, Oscar Wilde's Salome, mm. and he was about to make a documentary about the play. And he said that he saw all these actresses, but he cast her because she gave the best audition. And he didn't know her, never heard of her. A friend said to him, you should see her. She was in a play, and this friend said, I think I found your girl. He brought her into audition, and he said that she just killed the audition. Mm. And... And he didn't know anything else about her work, just the 20 minutes in a room. Mm. So it got me thinking that it, he kind of inspired this thought that it's not the best actor who books a job, it's the best auditionee. Mm. And you and I both know really great actors mm. who haven't been given an opportunity yet because they can't do this thing in two minutes. Yeah, You know, they're legends in their living room, but they come into a space like this and immediately things like nerves or their mindset can change or another actor walks out of the casting room you know, before they go in and psychs them out or mm. the casting director you know, seems rushed or something. It's a, it's a great way of looking at it because, yeah, because it just makes it about that moment and just sort of getting, it, thinking of it as a separate craft in a way. It just is. Just nailing that. Yeah. So on, so on that, so what is, um, what's the process for improving at that? What are the kind it's of essentials? Great question. And I've spent years and years refining. Well, since 2007. So what happened was Al Percino, it's weird saying his name. It sounds like um, we're mates. We're not mates. But <laughs> he, he said to me, he, he, he put me in touch with some people in L LA who specialized in screen testing, auditioning. Right. 
Now, I'd never looked at it as something different to what we would do with a partner. I didn't see it as a different part of our skill set. And I went and I worked with a bunch of acting teachers, coaches, practitioners, and I stole every piece of gold they had. There were lots of things I disagreed with. And after three years of training, I realized that I shouldn't just believe everything that's told to me. That was the one thing I struggled with a little bit in my training. We got a lot of instruction, as I'm sure you did. Mm. But no one ever backed it up with evidence. Like I had teachers say, you need to make braver choices, Les. But they would never show you how to or tell you how to. Yeah, it was sure. just a concept. It was just mm. a theory. And I, was, I wanted to be better. I mm. wanted to take more risks. But no one ever gave me the tools of how to do that. It was just a bottom line, take more risk. And so these people had tangible things I could use. And I also befriended a lot of casting directors who graciously let me sit in front of a computer and watch hundreds of screen tests from the first audition to the final network test. And I sat there for about six months with a notepad and a pen, like a crazy scientist. And I studied why what was consistently happening in the screen tests of the actors who were getting down to the last two or three for a part. Mm. What were they doing that the first 500 weren't? And what blew my mind was two actors could be making the exact same choice, but one of them got a callback over the other one because of a technical difference in the take. Not a not a not an acting choice difference, a technical difference. Technicals in, like the Something how they set up the like the physical space. How they mean? used their eye line. Sure, sure. One actor looked down. This actor you looked on the other side of camera. We yeah, saw right. the, we, we we saw the thought process of the second actor. We didn't see it of the first actor. Right. You, you know, just, and this is going on a bit of a tangent. No, it's great. The yeah. the, the National Center of Biotechnology in America tested our attention span in 2000 they thought it was going to be about 20 seconds the average attention span of a human being the results came back it was 12 we have an average of 12 seconds they then followed it up microsoft actually followed it up in 2013 and it's dropped to eight we have an average of an eight second attention span now th this is important for us as actors mm. because when we come into audition the network executives the producers the directors aren't necessarily here on our first audition it's our tape that will then get sent to a director or a producer or a network. Now think about how many auditions they're gonna watch in a day. You know, they the, apparently they audition in America for a pilot about a thousand people for a lead role. No one is gonna sit and watch a five minute audition tape times a thousand. So what is determining when they then stop watching a screen test and skip to the next one? It's this eight second attention span. The minute mm. an intrusive thought comes into their mind, they know in eight seconds whether they want to continue to watch this tape or not. And so what we need to do in a screen test is we've got to pop from the beginning. Yeah. Because right. every casting decision today is made by committee. That means it's not it's no longer one person who says, yep, yeah, let's get Andrew and mm. cast him. They'll go, I, th I like Andrew. And then 50 other people have to like Andrew. Yeah, yeah. And they're all sharing the same tape you've put down in a casting office. I always, because I've, I've heard this a little bit, and I think um, I think Greg Apps talks about it a bit, this kind of how, yeah, it's sort of about finding those magic moments more than the kind of overall feeling of a take. But I've always found, because surely when you're the actor working on it, and I feel like a lot of people could take this advice in the wrong way to kind of go, oh, it's got to... It's got to pop straight away. Like, let's make it bigger or let's do... Like, 
because fundamentally if you're working on a scene that's you know whatever scene it might be it surely it comes down to being as truthful in that moment as possible like yes or, you yes know, and no i agree with you on that it doesn't have to be like big explosions at the beginning that's not what i mean sure. by pop and at the same time I, i'll go on the ledge here and say the truth isn't enough anymore the right. truth isn't enough i mean I, if we could paint this wall fresh paint watch it dry it's truthful it's drying it's so <laughs> truthful it, we you and i cannot say that the paint isn't drying that's sure. a truthful process in its molecular makeup it's pretty boring to watch so it's and and there's a reason for that and that's because we have more than one genre now it's changed mm. we cannot act the same way if you tried to act truthfully there's no way in the world that you would get cast in something like crazy ex-girlfriend which is killing it in the rating cw network it's a larger than lifestyle performance required mm. if you tried to act truthfully in you know i don't know house of cards then your performance might be too big because mm. the subtlety that's in the style of that that every show has its own tempo mm. and style and genre so i in my opinion anyway it's not enough yeah. to be truthful it's kind of thinking about what kind of life do i need to put in front of the camera for this genre for this show and right so you think it so correct me if i'm wrong but it's almost as much about sort of nailing the stylistic element of it as it is the acting component. it's a part of it yeah. yeah i think what we need to do as actors now when we audition for things is do our research we have to look at what network it's for what production house it's for which director which it's yeah. not enough to just go oh, i've got my sides and my character brief and that's it because you know that if you're going to go in and audition for something for Ryan Murphy and you you type up and you go oh wow he does glee he does american horror story you go oh there's a bit of a style there they're a little camp there mm. there's a there's a performance quality there that i need to maybe adapt to if mm. you if, if you're going in for newsroom and you haven't looked up and gone, well, it's Aaron Sorkin, and then looked at everything he's done, mm. then you're not going to, you may not realize that you have to speak a little, you know, faster than normal, mm. and that you better be on, those words better be nailed down, and the thoughts better be moving quickly. Mm. So I do think that style and genre matter. Um, but just going back on the, the, just going back on the concept of making the audition mm. pop, you know, I won't go into all of this. I'm fascinated by mind science because of what it can pr help with us with actors. And and the the professor of social psychology at Stanford, I'm forgetting her name, um, Nalini, gosh, Nalini Ambini, I think her name is, something Love like it. that. Yeah. She did all, these, the, all this work in how you and I can make a judgment about somebody in one second or five seconds and it will be as accurate as if we knew them for five hours or five days and you think about a screen mm. test and the and that in 10 or 15 what i'm saying is in 10 or 15 yeah. seconds people know if you're right or not right mm. for a job so when i'm when i'm working with actors in screen testing i'd say 50 percent of it is about the craft thing the, the mechanics of screen testing eyeline how to use your environment how do you really 
do what we do in two minutes and make somebody care about it. Mm-hmm. That's about 50%. The other 50% that I'm dedicated to and I, th- and I see it make a difference is mindset mm-hmm. and, and, and sharing every tool that psychology and anthropology and, and NLP, anything that, they, that we have so much information today can help mm-hmm. actors with how to actually come into this room and own it. I, I don't like the word confidence. I, I, me personally, I don't like it. I feel mm. like it means to be confident means you can't have vulnerability and you can't be, you can't have, you know, moments of hesitation or whatever. Mm. But I do love the word ownership. And, and to come into this room, not to be confident, but to own the mm. experience, you could be then be having the worst day of your life. But if you own it, you own this time in this room on the worst day of your life, mm. then you can leave the audition space and feel good. But... What I think a lot of actors do is in the waiting room, anyway, this is what I hear a lot, actors will sit in the waiting room and they hope that the creative muse is going to show up for them when they cross the threshold Mm -hmm. into this space. They just hope it's going to go the way they want it to. Why would you ever come in here on the basis of hope? How scary. It's like gambling. Yeah, it's a, it's a great great point and a great way of looking at it because you, you do. There's definitely been times where I've... <laughs> you go, I don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's with you and sometimes it's not. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, I've watched all the... I told you I've watched all these audition tapes, but also a lot of the actors who who have... I, I have to say, uh, and this is not me just being self-deprecating, it's me just being very logical about it. There is a lot of... There's a high success rate of actors who who have gone on to book work after we've worked together, but mm. that's not because of me. It's because it, this is a skill. And mm. once you learn how to use it, you can ha- walk into an audition, and this is the great thing, forget a line. You can not be crying at the moment where it says the character's supposed to cry. You, you, you might come in here and completely feel like you are about to jump off a ledge, but there are skills now to get you through those moments. And I reckon about 30% of actors who have booked, you know, whether it's Home and Away, Neighbours or whatever, will call me right after the audition and say, I blew my line, but I did that thing you told me to do or I did whatever. And, and it shows everybody in the room that that's who you want on set. And mm. and, and they actually, I, I consider them gifts from the acting gods. I think every mistake that happens in an audition yeah, is yeah. a gift from the acting gods. So that moment when you forget a line, in my opinion, I think it's the acting gods looking down going, hey, dude, you're on autopilot right now. You're saying your lines. Mm. You're doing all the right things. You're ticking the boxes and it's good and mm. and it's fine. But we're going to take away your next line from you. We're going <laughs> to let you go blank so you can yeah. finally have a real, inspired, spontaneous yeah, yeah. moment. But most actors will say, sorry. Or, you know, there's a casting director in America who says she talks about casting like a tightrope artist. And she said, we don't care if you fall off the tightrope. It's how you recover that interests us. And mm. if a tightrope walker fell off their rope and said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Mm. That I, I'm, that's really bad. I'm sorry. Can I start again? Yeah. We kind of ruins the experience. But somebody who just jumps back on and keeps going mm. shows everybody that, not, you know, that they can fall down and that's not going to stop them. Yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, you, it is, it's, you know, you hear it so much, but it's great to continually have it reiterated because it's true i mean the moments where i've blanked and i just had to go on a sort of impro rant for a while was was a moment you know they are typically the moments where you might get a call back or you get the role because yep. you show something that 
the other yeah, 30 yeah. or 40 people haven't in yeah. the day. Well, have um, you heard that statement, well, the concept, I'm sure you probably had this experience yourself of where you, a lot of actors will say, I booked the job, but it was a job they didn't care about or they were so sick they wanted to be back in mm. bed that there were no stakes invested. It was that audition they just didn't put any time into oh. and, and that's the one they get. Yeah. Well, that's not crazy. There's all this science out there to back up what that phenomenon is. And the, the most famous one was in 1962 when they did the candle wax experiment and this guy, forgive me, I should know his name. He, um, uh, I'm, it's Sam Sam Glucksberg or something like that. <laughs> not anyway, able to help you on any of okay, these references. Okay, like, <laughs> and I think it's 1962. Sure. He, he, he incentivized people. He gave them money if they could do this, fix this problem with candle, a candle adhering it to a wall, a court right. board or something. And the people who were incentivized with money couldn't really do this creative problem. But the people who were told, can you solve the problem, but you get no reward, there's no money, no incentive, can you just do it? all did it in a faster amount of time than the people who were incentivized. So what this study was looking at was the nature of creativity when there's an incentive. And you mm. think about auditioning. Auditioning always has an incentive, which is a job, mm. money, opportunity. By definition, the minute we know that there's a reward, a possible reward, we, be, we instantly become creatively more narrow. So then it's that. So then you. Such a good point. Well, so yeah. you hear about yeah, those yeah. actors who go, I didn't care. Yeah, well, it happened to me. I, yeah, my first TV role was exactly that. I went in and just went, I've been fairly unsuccessful for the last however long, and just went in and was very relaxed because I, I was playing more music and things were kind of going well in other areas. And all of a sudden, yeah, you got it. It's, isn't that you interesting? Know, and it's, yeah, it's that. Um, you, you, yeah. You can creatively take more risks. So I yeah. say to actors, when, when I'm working one-on-one with an actor and they've you know come in with choices, I say, okay, if there was no job at the end of this, it was just me and you playing around, would you do anything different right now? And you should see the opportunities that come well, up in Even with, just as you said that, I got this kind of excited feeling of like, yeah, you know, you, your mind kind of goes, yeah, I'll try this. Exactly. And, but exactly, you wouldn't think to... Whereas, yeah, you limit. You go, oh, no, but yeah, I'm supposed to act in this way or... Oh, you know. man, yeah. So, it's... so how do you think... You can create that without just being... <laughs> well, this is where the Brood. mindset thing is. It's yeah. even just asking the question in the waiting room. So you sit there. There's a particular actor on... I won't say his name. On a particular well-known soap at the moment who from the waiting room of... We, we worked on his audition. And from the waiting room in his callback... Am I allowed to swear on this program? Please do. Okay. He... I... I I, he said, what if I get connect? What if I get hooked? Because it was a callback. Could happen. Could be a game changer in his career. And he sat there in the waiting room and I said, I want you to write on the palm of your hand two words. Fuck it. Mm. And he, that's what he did. That's what he said. That's what got him through the callback from, from getting into that space of it could happen. I want this part. And suddenly you start becoming creatively more safe and you want to get it mm. right and you want to impress. He looked at his palm and he just went fuck it fuck it what would i do if there was no potential gig i would do this this and this and he went in and did those other things but he had to trick his mind into Mm. that space of going fuck it there's no reward it's just because Mm. and so that's one thing you can do there's all i mean there's all this gold information out there i mean i did half of this i didn't create as i said i kind of like pocketed it but it was uh, michael sherloff i think his name is who said you know in that moment 
when you, it's going to shit and it's not happening. You know, you know when you're hovering outside yourself, you're monitoring. You go, mm. I think I just tripped over that line. Mm. Uh, this this take is terrible. I just want to get to the <laughs> end of it. You know those moments? Oh yeah, they're gold moments. Yeah, that yeah. is the best moment if you do the following. I call it a parachute because you're crashing and burning, right? Mm. In that moment, take out your parachute. What is that parachute? Whatever your next line is, I don't care if it's, do you want to get a coffee? Whatever your next line is, say it with fierce love or fierce hate towards the reader. It's like a defibrillator. Is that how you say that word? Yeah, sure. To, yeah. Your, to your instincts. Yeah. Because it jolts you out of apathy and you go, at least I made a committed decision on my next line and it reconnects you. Such a great, and, he, and jumping out sort of the audition room, that's such a great thought for, um, for on stage because when you're having one of those nights where it's unraveling, and most actors are fairly insecure <laughs> individuals. You know, you can start turning on yourself and you just, you're just sinking. And yeah. so anything that can kind of snap you out of it yeah. is, is great. Yeah. You know, in my... Okay, so this is just for me. Hmm. Um, and, you know, everyone can feel free to disagree. I think there are three kinds of actors. Right. I think there are good actors. <laughs> and they're people who usually get given a good break. You know, like they get maybe two or three years on a TV show and maybe another little show after that. But... You don't really know their name and they disappear maybe after five or six years. Then I think there's another level, which is great actors. Great actors, in my opinion only, are people who work all the time, but they haven't, they haven't burst through their own cultural barrier. So they're well known in their own territory and they work all the time in their own territory. But if we went, if we went to America now and stopped somebody on the street and said, do you know, blah, 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 they wouldn't know them, but maybe everybody in Australia knows them. Right. So they're really great and they work because they're great. Right. And then there's a third level and I call them dangerous actors. And a dangerous actor is somebody who, who breaks through all cultural barrier. There's something so universal about their human behavior that people in China, in Greece, in Afghanistan, no matter, even if you subtitle their work, are still connected mm. to their work. And we know who those dangerous actors are. They're allowed to grow old. They're allowed to get fat. They get wrinkly. Mm. It's not, we don't go and see them for youth and beauty. We go and see them because there's something so fundamentally dangerously human about mm. their work that they're doing one thing that the other two actors, in my opinion, aren't doing. And that is activating our empathetic response. A dangerous actor is able to actually have neurons in your brain fire so that you start the process of identification and empathy with their character. So mm. a great example is Charlize Theron in the film Monster. Mm. Everybody knew she was a South African model. We mm. all knew that. But the work was so dangerous that by the end, people were emotionally affected by this woman's journey because they've identified and they've their empathetic response system has kicked in. So for that to happen, the, 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 the human behavior that needs to be happening in front of the camera can't be acting. So, so when I'm teaching, I, I, I actually don't call people actors. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call you and I actors. I'd say we're humanists. Mm. We're in the business of being human beings. Mm. And it is, this is an invisible art form. If someone says, wow, Andrew's such a great actor, mm. then you kind of failed at what you've done, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And we could say, you said you're a musician. If mm. we say, look how great you're playing the guitar, you know, that's yeah, a exactly. great thing. Yeah. But somebody just sit at the movies going... Well, even then, I'd agree with you because you're, you're being drawn. I think if you're really lost in a, in a musical um, act that you're watching, 
you, you're not looking at the guitar playing per se. You're, you're being taken to that next level. I think. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it's, um, um, the, love her or hate her, no matter what you think about her, Julia Roberts is the most distributed actor in the entire world, which means her films have been sold into more foreign territories than any other actor. Yeah. So we have to get curious about that and go, why? And when I try and explain it to people, I use the scene from the film Notting Hill where she approaches Hugh Grant in the bookstore and she, yeah. you know, that really corny line that she has to make work. I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy. But you watch her behavior in that. It's, it, there's, no, there's no wonder people are responding to her work because it's so fundamentally human. Here's this guy rejecting her multiple times. And each time he rejects her, she smiles because she knows that if she was to show him any other emotion, one of rejection, it's just going to confirm that she's a bit of a drama and that this is to be avoided. But she's doing something which is really interesting. She's playing to win. Mm. And that means that despite the text on the script that's been written on that screenplay, behaviorally, she's saying, there's nothing in this script that says I can't smile though. And, and as a result, the outcome she wants, she's playing to win, mm. is so human. We all play to win. Mm. We all behaviorally do things so that we get the outcome we want but if you give that to somebody who's less of a humanist and you say here's the scene can you do it then every time the Hugh Grant character rejects the actor mm. maybe less experienced actresses would want to show the rejection mm. would want to show the hurt and do you find as well working with actors a lot that because people th you know think they're solely striving to be real or to be honest that they yeah forget exactly you know that point of playing to win they they almost play more to lose because they think that's more real you know they can turn on themselves they play the problem yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. because because it's drama and it's acting but then yeah, again yeah. look at these dangerous actors let me give you a couple of examples robert de niro in the d hunter hmm. in the first russian roulette scene when his friend christopher walken's character you know they, they have to play this game and christopher walken's freaking out hmm. watch that scene again and look what de niro does he laughs throughout it you go, oh, there are people with guns to your head. You're going to die. And he's laughing because he knows that if he shows his fear, his friend's just going to get even more terrified. Mm. So he starts to laugh and smile because he knows that in that moment, if he can make it a game for his friend and go, it's just nothing. It's just it's mm. a silly game. His friend will have more, more option of doing that. And I saw it firsthand on, at the end of the film Righteous School, which is a film I was in with them. De Niro has to walk in and shoot Pacino. They've caught their partners and, you know, he, he's, Pacino's corrupt. There's nothing in the script that said... that There was nothing in the script that said De Niro had to do the following thing. In the script it says De Niro's character walks into a warehouse, finds Al Pacino's character and shoots him dead. So when the director called action, De Niro walked in, and for those listening, you can't see what I'm doing, but he walked in with his hand in the air and his gun up in the air in a, in a state of surrender, in a state of, I come in peace. And I looked at the director and I said, what's he doing? He said, that's, that's Bob. That's Bob's choice. He knows he has to shoot his friend, but what he's really trying to do until the very last moment is go, please don't make me shoot you. Please don't make me have to do this. That's not in the script. That's an mm. actor going... This is what I really want to do. I really want to not shoot you. So mm. until the point comes where I have to pull the trigger, behaviorally, I'm going to play to win. You just go, oh my gosh. So, because this, this sort of conversation always gets me very excited and I um, go, what, what is the process of, oh, is it about actors trusting their instincts if you have a bold decision like this in an audition or in a, when you're actually 
on a job, is it about going, all right, I feel like I'm going to make this decision? Or, or is it a bit more technical that you go, all right, I've got to make this audition work. What, what's something interesting I can throw in here just to give it a bit of, you, you, know. you, you know what it is? I think it's, I think it's, it's actors who ask themselves. I think the, 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 greater, the, the, the most dangerous actors are actually really great behavioral psychologists in some way. I think they understand what I'm, I'm just looking up something. I know I'm looking at my phone as I'm talking to you. I'm bringing something up that's relevant to what mm. we're talking about, but it's, it's these dangerous actors, I think understand what real human beings do in situations to get the ideal outcome that they want. You know, Marlon Brando said that he used to watch people on the street. He used to watch their faces not to see or search for what they were feeling, but to see and search for what they were hiding. And, and, and when we, when what I think these dangerous actors do is go, what would this human being really do to get the outcome they want? I'll give you another example. Minnie Driver, who was nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Award for the film Goodwill Hunting, there's that, you know that scene that every drama school person does, the, will you come to California with me? Yeah. You know, the big, <laughs> At the end of that, she has the following pieces of text. She has to say to Matt Damon, I want to hear you say that you don't love me. Because if you say that, I won't call you and I won't be in your life. Now that's, that's quite, that's quite antagonistic text. It's, it's, mm. text, that's, it's text that's pushing someone away. But if you watch what she does in that moment, she goes towards him and she touches his face and she kisses him on the lips. There's behavior that's contradicting the text because she knows, the actor goes, oh gosh, this is pushing away dialogue, but I want to use pulling towards behavior. That's what's going to get me the outcome that I want. That's what this playing to win mm. thing is. But I came across this, which I think is interesting. It's, uh, it's by a guy called Dr. B.J. Fogs and his behavior model. And he says, every behavior is driven by one of three core motivators, seeking pleasure or avoiding pain, seeking hope or avoiding fear, seeking social acceptance while avoiding social rejection. So that's just one model. That's just mm. one person's thing. But the more you, I think the more actors think in that way, go, what am I really doing here? What do I really want? Mm. Then, then we'll make those more playing to win choices and we'll avoid playing the problem. Mm. it's it's really i mean you see it in film all the time that when when it, when one of these dangerous actors makes this playing to win choice and i you know i show a lot of these clips in class because i think it helps when you watch an actor do it one last example in the film lars and the real girl the actress patricia clarkson plays a doctor and she is in a session with Ryan Gosling's character, Lars, and, you know, she's concerned about him. And he says something which maybe gives her some indication that he might be on the spectrum. He says he, he finds it painful when people hug him. He says it feels like it's that feeling when, you're, when you've got cold feet from frozen feet and then you're thawing them out with water. It's that feeling. And rather than look at him, and show deep interest in him. This actress, Patricia Clarkson, knows that as a doctor, if you're dealing with somebody who's on the spectrum, if you get too invested, like eye contact, all that stuff, you might push them away. Mm. And so she went up to the director and she said, I don't want to sit behind my desk and have this be a doctor session. He said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to be eating lunch and during the, the, 
the session with my patient, which is Ryan Gosling. And you watch that scene now, the, the more he's revealing, the less interest she shows in him. Because she knows that if she shows too much interest, he's going to shut down. Mm. And you go, where did that come from? You're feigning and faking disinterest so that you can get what you want. Mm. So it's an interesting, because we do it in life, right? Mm. We do it in life. I mean, I don't, have you ever received that phone call that goes something like this? Andrew, everyone loved you. Everyone thought you were brilliant. Unfortunately, it's not going to go any further. <laughs> we, we, you know, we don't hear the word unfortunately and break down. We usually put a smile on our face and go, that's cool. No worries. It's fine. Mm. But you give that to an actor in a scene when the other character says, unfortunately, they're going to want to show the pain and they're going to want, yeah. not, not everyone, you know what I mean? Like yeah. those yeah, who don't complain to win choices. Um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, I wanted to, to chat, which is kind of building on this, but um, you get an audition through um, and obviously we can't go into a full scene analysis here on, on the old podcast, but um, what, what does your process look like for working through a scene? It's a, it's untraditional, I'll say that. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's very untraditional. I don't call them scenes. Right. What do we call them? I call them conversations. Right, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm aware of the audience out there who are probably rolling their eyes going, what a wanker. <laughs> no. But yeah. it was something that I worked with with somebody in America who really drilled into me this concept of don't, don't do a scene. No one wants to watch a scene. Mm. Audiences don't want to watch a scene. They want to watch human behavior. Mm. Humans don't do scenes. Human have, humans have conversations. But I think all these things, just to interrupt quickly, is like, yeah, some people might, yeah, exactly, have think it might be naff or something to call it a conversation. But instantly when you said it, what all these things do is just take away the pressure from things. Because we hold all these things up. You go, oh, it's got to be a scene. Like the second you say scene, I'm thinking, especially if you've gone to a drama school, you've been doing it a while, you think, oh, it's got to have a structure. It's got to have a you know, some peaks and it's got to be interesting as a whole. Yeah. Whereas you're right, but second you say conversation, you're sort of taking all that out of it. Yeah. So if it works for you, I think yeah. it's a great, great John idea. Cazali, great actor, only did five films before he passed away, who played Fredo in The Godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was, what they used to say about him, and he was revered by De Niro, Pacino, Streep, that he would never start, he'd never do that, he'd never do that thing of hearing action and take that inhalation that some of us do and go, and now I'm going to begin. Mm. He wouldn't begin until it just the impulse came out of a, just a continuous flow. He didn't believe in a start and an end. It was mm. all just moving yeah. through. And I think what happens with auditions anyway, because there is a start and there is an end, we come in here and we feel like there's somewhere else we need to be. But one of the best things I've ever heard from an acting teacher was from Roy London, who, you know, coached. Patricia Arquette and Brad Pitt and Sharon Stone, a whole bunch of people before he passed away. He said, you're more interesting a person than you'll ever be an actor. Mm. So don't be an actor. The camera finds it boring. People find it boring. Mm. But let us see you be a person. And I'll watch that. And I found it really interesting. And so to answer your question, when it comes to working on material, I start with this shared foundation that we're not here to do a scene. We're not here to act. And then there, I do have a breakdown process, and mm. and 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 it's all about finding the human behavior that's going on, not mm. so that we can replicate it, but so that we can experience it. And 
to jump in again, do you is your general sort of philosophy, if you will, like is it about being as much you as possible and trying to find what's your opinion and sort of character and finding your relationship to it? It's interesting that because you know I come from it, it was indoctrinated. Is that, the, is that how you say yeah, that word? I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 was, it was taught to me that you should never bring the character to you. You'd go out and meet the character. And, 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 and now that's slightly shifting for me. I mean, Matthew McConaughey just said in a very recent interview, at some point, he said, at some point, the character must be me. The character must become me. Now, I'm, that doesn't mean you bring the character to your everyday microscopic behavioral tendencies but no matter how transformational johnny depp is or streep is you see them in it Mm. you see the spark of who they are in Mm. it and so so when i say you're more interesting a person than you'll be or when roy london would say you're more interesting a person than you are an actor i don't think he was meaning that you play yourself I think it's that you bring everything you understand of your own human behavior, though, to that character, that, that it, it, there has to be some enmeshment between them, mm. that the character isn't something that's sitting outside of you. Mm. And, and But were you often, um, I mean, most times you're auditioning for roles that you're fairly suited to, but do you, would you find you're often bringing, oh, let's try a new physical trait or vocal trait for this character, where yeah. you tend to, I did a I did a telly film a couple of years ago called Chappelle, mm-hmm. and it was about the Chappelle Corby case. So all the characters we were playing were real people, mm-hmm. and the guy that I played has a very particular speech pattern mm-hmm. and a behavioural that's not me. There were things I had to actually use, and there's always that fear as an actor that you're going to go into imitation or caricature, mm-hmm. but it was understanding that you can sound different and behave differently, but still be very certain that it's you that's showing up behind those adjustments, that, that it's connected to your blood and to your veins. You know, Helen Mirren, who I think most people would agree knows what she's talking about. Yep. <laughs> she said, somebody said, what's the difference between stage and, and film? And most of her stage work has been with the Royal Shakespeare companies where she kind of started. And she said, she turned to the audience and she said, she said with film, it's just who you are. It's your intrinsic, essential nature you listen to that and you how many acting teachers fall down dead when they hear that going it's just you it's who you are it's your essential nature but that's what she said and she's in fact she said the best best actor she ever worked with that she learned the most from was bruce willis yeah helen mirren said that the best actor she worked with is bruce willis she said that she was acting opposite him in the flesh and she said he's doing nothing and it was bothering her she's like he's doing nothing and then she'd watch the monitor and go, oh my gosh, mm. how is he doing that? <laughs> you know, so it's this thing. Look, two, two statements that I think can kind of just summarize what we're talking about is Uta Hagen said something like, and I think this is great for screen acting, don't show me your point of view, have one. Mm. And I think what happens with a lot of actors, certainly in auditions, because we're not really in the moment, is we start to indicate what, we're supposed to be feeling and thinking so that the casting director is not sitting there going, did you understand what's supposed to be happening at this moment? So we show it because we're mm. not really feeling it. Michael Chekhov said the actor must burn inside but keep an outer ease. And I think that's great for screen acting. Burn inside, mm. volcanic, but on the outside, an ease. Mm. And, and those two things I think work really well for screen to consider those. 
And do you think to get that kind of fire going inside is about the work you do, the thinking about the script, thinking about the character? Like how do because how do you connect with it to that level to then even have the ease on the exterior? How do you find that passion in scenes? Like if you're not naturally great, connecting with it? Yeah, it's such a great question. <laughs> because how many times do you read a script and go, I don't care? Yeah, yeah. I do not care. I want the job, but mm. I don't care about what's happening here. Mm. And the way I work is all is there, and there's more than one way to do this, by the way. But at the end, the bottom line is you must be aligned with the same care factor as the character. That's the bottom line. So mm. let's just say that you're playing a character who who wants to, I don't know, open up a an art gallery. Let's say that's of no interest to you. Mm. Bottom line, you've got to care in the same way that character cares about that. And so there are there are ways to create that empathetic response and go, okay, it may not be an art gallery, but I've got to somehow find in myself the same need and reason to care and there are many as i said there are many ways to to do that different ways in Mm. i think and that's where a lot of great acting teachers have come up with ways to do that Mm. and but that is a bottom line and 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 sometimes it's using an as if sometimes it's using you know just maybe finding a parallel from your life Mm. maybe maybe it's just through empathy Mm. I work a lot with Aristotle's modes of persuasion and I think it's really really fascinating for actors and I'm not going to go too far into it but when you actually look at a quote-unquote scene in two ways and work out what's the logical argument that's happening here just not emotional the logical argument uh, every character in their mind is logical just like you think you're logical I think I'm logical but we do illogical things right but when you look at a scene and you go, before I even care about what I'm supposed to be feeling and I, where's the inspiration going to come from, simply look at it and go, what is my character literally saying? Logical. And and Kate Blanchett said in an interview when she played Blue Jasmine, she solved it with logic. She went, what's the internal logic here? Not the emotional mm. feeling. What is the logic? And I think what happens with us as actors is we go straight to emotion and mm. feeling and wanting to hope that our blood starts, b- I don't know, boiling in the same way as the character mm. and without little regard, with little regard for just the logical drive. What is this character needing to be heard and understood with? And I think when you come at it with logic, you can relate to a lot of people because you, you understand what the essential need is mm. then. And, and, and I think, once you crack that, you can relate mm. to it. Um, there's so much we can um, delve into in the acting process. Probably go on for hours. One, but one thing I wanted to sort of steer the conversation towards, um, because it seems to be going on in my life at the moment a bit uh, with myself and with actors around me, is so much of the time if you're in between jobs um, or if you're, you're even going through a period of not auditioning, a lot um, do you have any particular advice someone like yourself is so passionate about acting um, to for actors to kind of keep that fire for yeah. it going and yeah to keep honing their craft and to keep moving forward yeah so you know if you speak to anyone who who I work with again 
this is quite a, people might go, what a wanker. But I sign off my emails with three words, keep dangerously inspired. So the re- reason I use that wording is because I, again, those three levels of actors, good, great, dangerous. Mm. And the final word, inspired. You know, the inspiration, keep dangerously inspired and, and, and do whatever you need to do to do that. And it's different for different people. So when, when I'm teaching a class, we always start off with what I call a point of view activity. Because this is kind of, I feel like there's going to be a bit of backlash with what I say right now. But (laughs) I feel, in my opinion, it's not the best actors booking work today. It's the people with the most dangerous points of view. Where someone walks in a room and we go, I know exactly what you just thought then. I know exactly what you just felt then. You didn't pander it for me. You didn't fence sit it for me. I I might hate your guts, but... Oh, okay. I'm going to be really diplomatic with this story. Really diplomatic. <laughs> there was a director who was casting a, an actor in a television series. It was a guest role. And this particular actor was late to the audition. The director was like, well, I don't get it. You've got an audition and you're late. What, what kind of message is that sending to me? I'm not going to give you this job. Anyway, this actor walks in 10 minutes late, doesn't apologize, puts their stuff down and says, I'm just going to use the bathroom goes to the bathroom and this director is like beside himself says, well, what is that actor walks in casting director says do you want a rehearsal actor says no let's just do it does it actor leaves director gives that actor the role because the actor had such a fierce committed point of view mm. he saw the role in a way he hadn't seen it before and he I'm not, I'm not promoting lateness or any you know behavior like that but but he gave the actor the role because there was this point of view that that was uncompromised. Like when you have an uncompromised yeah, yeah. point of view. Kind of on that, I, I feel from my observation since being out as well, there seems to be other people who, who maybe are doing doing well in terms of getting work on stage or on film or on TV is um, the people who you kind of instantly get a very strong, you kind of know what they're about and you can kind of... Um, yeah, when you talk to them, you see you see it all. Yes, um, and and I feel that's kind of what you're sort of saying is is, a, is it's so much about that. Without getting too airy fairy, you're kind of your energy that you're bringing in, and well, people go, yeah, yeah. An know. extreme example of that, and this is again, it is an extreme example, but he's Rebel Wilson, who who knew very quickly what kind of image she wanted to convey and she took that into the room from day one mm. in america it was like this is who i am you don't have to you don't have to wonder when i leave the room mm. who i was you get it and and we talk a lot about personality and people feel like they have to become a version of themselves that they're not like oh i have to become more charismatic or outgoing it's bullshit it's actually about it's why i love the word ownership it's mm. own who you are so sydney sydney Lumet, who's one of the one of the greatest film directors said that when he works he doesn't want movie stars he wants movie giants and he says i don't need to necessarily like them as people i just need to know what they're going to give me and Mm. they have to have an uncompromised point of view and so i don't know somebody like jennifer lawrence recent in recent times is somebody who i would say Mm. has an uncompromised point of view she's not doesn't care if you like her or doesn't like her and because what it kind of does is it it's just yeah it polarizes people because it makes you go um, it makes people go make the, you know in the casting world or directors make the decision they go oh yeah that's absolutely what I'm after or it isn't which is actually a good thing instead of being in the middle where you're sort of yeah not sure or if, if an act is hard to read in that way um, I mean you know again to you know again with 
full diplomacy, there is an Australian actor who auditioned for a big American film. And in the final audition, the casting director said, can we hear it with an American accent? And this Australian actor said, no, I can't really do one. So do you want good acting right now or a dodgy accent? The actor booked the part in that moment because the director went, that's my character. Mm. That's how my character would talk back to authority. You go, I'm not like that. I wouldn't have, if somebody told me, can you do it with, do it standing on your head? I'd jump over in a second. Yeah. That's just my personality. <laughs> I would love to hear some of the flip stories of some of these things people, because you hear so much, you hear a lot of this sort of advice. I'm sure there's some great stories of people trying all this you know stuff and never being seen again yeah, for an audition. It's, and because if it's not in your nature, then mm. it's bullshit. It's also, yeah, yeah. it's authenticity. Yeah. It's what I think happens is, is a lot of casting directors have said to me anyway, the actor walks into this casting room and immediately their actor persona comes up and right. the human in them gets turned down. And, and, and more than anything, personality is what people want to watch, I think. And we hear the word personality, we think that means outgoing and charming and fun. It can't be. I mean, Woody Allen's got a really neurotic personality and, and Amy Schumer's got a very self-deprecating personality. Jack Nicholson's got a very kind of fuck you personality. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's about just owning again who yeah, you yeah. are. And... Um, so just to jump back, I think we went a little bit um, on a tangent there. Great tangent, but um, with being proactive, is there some sort of um, oh, yes. concrete sort of practical things that, that you suggest to people? Yeah, so I think it's always really, I think it's really great to do some activities that are about being a human being. So one of the things I always get you know, people I work with to do, and I change it every week, but one week it might be to become conscious of every single moment in your week that you... Say yes to something when you maybe wanted to say no or you smiled when you wanted to say fuck you. All the moments that you didn't really follow through on what you wanted to do, that's one way of keeping inspired as an actor because what it's doing is it's, it's drilling in you the ability to come into a casting room and to not do that in your choices, to not hold back on an impulse. So there's mm. all this work you can do every week. That you know, Another one is... is I, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in actors who create their own content mm-hmm. writing. I think that's really exciting, especially with the internet. And, you know, people yeah. have talked about that for ages. Uh, there were a few girls who, well, one girl in particular I was working with who couldn't come to class one day. And I said, why? She said, we made a, a YouTube video and it's gone viral. <laughs> and, and it was like 280 million hits or something. And they were lip syncing to a song in a car. And... And they now have their own TV, their sketch group called Sketchy. Yeah. yeah but it, yeah. it's really interesting that yeah. they just made that. So self-created work is another way to keep inspired. I think, I think watching films from for what we do. I mm-hmm. think watching films is another great thing to do. All the, all the films you know that we should have seen. I think play readings are really great. Mm-hmm. Anything. He, but here's what, I, what I, I say to a lot of people. There's no right and there's no wrong and and of, of keeping inspired. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this. I certainly have it where I get material to work on like an audition mm. and I leave it to the last minute. I just don't want to do work on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like what? Okay. So in that moment, in that moment, you and I are about to work in the wrong way for us because the work should feel expansive 
And so I say to actors, there's no right way or wrong way to work. There's only the way that's gonna turn you on. And one week it might be sitting down at your desk and actually with a pen and going writing all over the script. Another part might be just listening to music that makes you feel invigorated by mm. that experience. But when, whenever I don't feel like working, whenever I feel like I'm losing inspiration, I realize it's because I think I'm supposed to be working in a particular way. And I throw and that out. it feels out. like a, a chore almost. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so do you feel, do you ever, uh, we had an article on the site recently about sort of trying to get over, there was, you know, speaking to actors, periods where people, actors can actually start dreading auditions and can, do, do you, have you gone through periods like that? Do you tend to now, you find inspiration in, in all your auditions? Yeah. Or you push to try and find It's a great question. You know? the, the, in 2007, I dreaded them. I didn't dread them before drama school. Mm. And then I, I dreaded them afterwards because I became so needy and, and nervous and I thought I wanted to appease them and please them. Mm. And, and a lot of actors hate auditioning. You know, the, the actress Vera Farmiga doesn't audition. She can't. She makes a short film about the character and sends it to the director. I've heard this. Yeah, 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 she doesn't audition. She doesn't get every part because people eventually go, I need to see you handle my text, and she can't do it. Naomi Watts said that mm. she auditioned for 10 years in LA because she said, as an Australian, I'm not good when it comes to proving myself. When someone says to me, prove it, I can't. And so it was, it was, it, she didn't, when, when David Lynch saw her for Mulholland Drive, he sent her back. He didn't, after the first audition, he said, come back and look prettier or something like that. And he said he didn't really, it wasn't so much her acting that got her that part. It was, she came to his house and he saw her talking to his nephew or something and saw how natural she was as a person on his balcony. And mm -hmm. that's what got her the part, not the audition. And so a lot of actors dread auditioning. And I think the reason why a lot of actors, anyway, the, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm self-promoting, but there's no other way to say it, who... who who I work with in class, the reason why I think they book more work is not because, again, of me or because they become better actors. Suddenly the audition process is really different for them. So when they're in the waiting room and someone next to them has got their head buried in the script and is hoping that it goes the way they want it to and they're thinking about their choices, these actors are doing something a little different and they are almost hoping for the accidents that it might happen ahead. Mm. And so these auditions become really joyful. Peter Wee said this great thing that Joel Edgerton has paraphrased. He said, casting's like a crime that's been committed. And he goes, when I'm casting, I'm looking for the suspect who committed the crime. And you've got to look out for that suspect. But every now and then, an actor's going to walk in with blood all over their hands. And you'll know that's who did it. Mm. And that's your person. And so I, I, I did this activity in class the other day. And this actor had a recall flown down to Melbourne for a second recall for a television show. And he, he um, texted me after his audition, after we, you know, we'd worked on it and stuff. And he just wrote two words, blood everywhere. <laughs> so so the, the way a lot of the actors I'm working with evaluate auditions now is not did it feel good, not, not did I nail it. I, it. The way I get them to reflect on it is did I show up? Did I show up? Can mm. I fundamentally get back in my car, get on a bus and go, my DNA is on their wall. My blood dripped on their carpet. I may yeah. not, I might, I might, I might, no, no actor, and maybe you can correct me here, I don't know of any actor that's ever, ever booked a job because they got their lines right. Mm. 
it's never been the reason mm. or because they ticked all the boxes mm. and it's just yeah i mean a lot of this you know it's just so it is it's so great to hear because yeah and and, and even when you know it i mean a lot of this stuff you know, got sort of ingrained in us at drama school and in various masterclasses or whatever that, that I've done, but still to be reminded because you do just fall back into this idea of like, you know, because a lot of us want to do it right. We want to tick all the boxes and we want to, and you just go into auditions and you go, all right, well, if I <laughs> practice this bit where I'm going to really connect to this bit I like or get angry here or, you know, and, and then, yeah, you walk out of the room going, I ticked all those boxes or I didn't. And you're exactly right that it's it's that is such a small part of it, really. Yeah. Like you know, it's yeah, it's so much more about about the energy that comes in and, and owning it and really yeah. you know. Yeah, there's a guy at the moment who's working on a pretty big TV show. I won't say what it is, like a, one of those six part miniseries. Mm-hmm. And in his audition, he had a moment of inspiration, so he started improvising. And the director has now scripted those improvised lines into the show. Mm. Like he got the part and all that. I mean, that stuff that he felt like he wouldn't have been able to do. And I'm not. I'm not saying mm. go in and improvise, but it was a moment of inspiration that he he followed. Mm. And and I think that's really important to look at the audition process as not this not this place where we have to go in and tick all the boxes and get it right. But it's a place of having an experience. And when you realize it can never go wrong. You can never, ever, ever have a bad audition again. Not when you understand that every little moment is a moment of potential inspiration to be had if you know what to do with it, mm. if you know exactly what to do with it. And and so that's why I think it's a different a different skill. And, and you don't have to... You know a lot of actors psych themselves out before an audition? Mm. You don't have to. You can go exactly from where you're at Mm. Again, Roy London would talk about this going, you had a bad day, that belongs. Mm. You don't have to suddenly put the amnesia button on in your brain and go, but I'm about to do an audition, so let me become a non-human being for a second that doesn't feel pain mm. so I can have a really great audition. It, it, it's, it's all just an extension. Uh, and, and Because like, yeah, that, that potentially as well in terms of booking a role, that if you're having a hard day, that little bit of darkness that is coming through maybe in a very joyful scene just instantly might make it, more interesting than exactly. than all the other people auditioning. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's you know, I, I worked with this athlete, quite a famous athlete who's retired now. Retired about five years ago for he was audition. He, he'd never acted before, so the casting director from the UK got in touch with me and said, well, would I coach him to put an audition down? And I did. I was, I was, I, I was expecting to work with him for about three hours because he's not an actor. I thought that's going to take a long time. Mm. So we did a rehearsal and the immediate thought that went through my head was, fuck, I wish I taped that. But I didn't tell him that because I didn't want him to start thinking it was extraordinary is what mm. I'm saying. But I didn't want him to know that because I didn't want him to think he had to replicate it. So we then taped it and that was the take we sent. I said to him, you're done. He was like, what? I was like, we've, we've got the result. He's like, uh, what? And he, he, he left, but it, he was so human. He really listened. Mm. He just meant what he said. He didn't overdo anything. The camera yeah. was so fascinated by him because he wasn't trying to be interesting. He was more interested in the process. And the casting director called me from the UK. I got a phone call about 11 p.m. saying, did you 
did you t- tell him how to listen? Did you, how much, <laughs> like how, how much of that was you? And I stopped her. I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. He's really listening. Mm. Like, and it's because he didn't have too many actor skills to be thinking about. Mm. All he knew was he had to learn lines and he had to get on camera and he had to listen to what I said mm. and he had to respond and, and, and feel whatever was going on in the conversation. Yeah. So then he got a call back and we worked a second time. And I made this mistake at the end of one of the takes. I said, how was that for you? And his response was, I have no idea. I've never done this before. I've got nothing to compare it to. So he had no idea how it was for him. He just knew that he had to believe in a conversation mm. that wasn't his conversation. Yeah, yeah. Can you, can you just give me one second? Yeah. I just want to grab this phone call. I yeah. just think it's, a, it's just an urgent one. Is yeah, okay? we can just yeah. chop back in. Hello, hello, hello. This is a very quick aside from Andrew of the Future, who is recording this about three weeks after this interview. Right now, Les chats with a student who lands a role in a major TV show whilst we're recording the podcast, which was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Um, And I just wanted to do a little aside because it's great always to know that the stuff someone's talking about is actually making real it's having a real effect and it and and speaking with the student who gets the role you know he was so on board with everything that les was saying and was had taken um a lot of what we're talking about in this interview and it really seems like that had been the sort of the factor that had led to um to him getting the role which is awesome Enjoy the rest of the episode. So it's been such a fantastic chat. Um, so much stuff I'm going to re-listen to and, and take away. And I'm sure there's more, much more I could we could go into. Um, if people want to perhaps take one of your courses or get in touch about working with you or even just sort of stay up to date with what you're doing, do you have a website or social media sites or anything you want to kind of share with the audience? Yeah, there's... Oh God, there's a web, I just hesitated then because I'm so bad at the self-promotional side of all this, but there is mm-hmm. a website that I finally uh, got up called theactorsstation.com.au. Yeah, and, and this is an, is this your now new acting school almost or sort of a coaching? It's just a place, yeah. yeah. Sure. I, I wouldn't call it, you know, yeah. I think I said to you off air, I don't like to be called an acting coach, but an actor who coaches. And so I, I, I'm reluctant to call it a studio or a school, but a place maybe. like That's why mm. I called it a station, because yeah. then it's a bit of a platform for actors to come and jump on and jump off whenever they want. And yeah, know, I know that sounds a bit poetic, but mm. yeah. So theactorstation.com.au and, and yeah. And that's what you're running through for your courses and stuff now, if people want to... Yes. Some- so the main the main course that gets taught is a five week masterclass. So it's five yeah. usually five Sundays, and then the the what happens with most of the people who book work are in what's called the ongoing classes, which is right. a, either a Monday night or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, and it's a, there's one tonight. It's a three hour class. You sign up for four classes, and mm-hmm. you get a different audition piece to work on every week. And there's ten people in the class, and it runs like a real audition, mm-hmm. and what happens in the first hour, we do a point of view activity. We usually watch a couple of clips. We talk about it. Second hour, you come in one at a time in this real casting room and you put your audition down. In the third hour, it's playback and review. Mm, and, right. and 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 so and we tend to work on what an actor feels like they can't nail. And the and and like, you know, who we were just speaking with and a f- and a few other people, 
It just means when that real audition comes up, you're already warm, you're already ready, and mm. everything that could have gone wrong can go wrong, can get in the way. You've already found a way to solve it in mm. class. And so I think, again, I think the people who are booking all this work is because they're, they're in a state of readiness. Mm. And a lot of other actors, I think, myself included, used to just wait for the phone to ring and you'd get an audition once every six weeks if you were lucky. Mm. And then that was everything. And and that was your warm up when that shouldn't be your warm up. That should be your race, you know. Mm. And, and yeah, brilliant. Well, I recommend everyone to to check that out and to to do a course. Um, yeah, fantastic. Thanks. And thanks so much for taking some time to have no, a chat. No thanks, and, and also awesome. really great work with the website and stuff. As Thank I was you. saying, it's very direct, and you can hop on and get a lot of information that doesn't isn't quite flowery. It's to the point, and mm. that's a really great thing. And and congratulations with it. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That was our first episode of the new series. I hope you got something out of it. Um, I had a lot of fun interviewing Les and I think there is a lot there you can take away. As always, this episode is made possible by stagemilk.com. Check out the site and please, if you like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time. Thanks.